Friday, News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And you can hit me up on Twitter at Pete Callender. That is Callender with a K. So the Washington Post publishes this op-ed the other day. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. Yeah. And uh, by the way, just I don't know why for me, despite my last name being Callender, and as much ribbing as I got, what day is it? Um, I, most of my days run together. So I don't remember. So I apologize if I give you a, a bad date on a uh, uh, on an article. But this one was from the Washington Post from yesterday. And see, I lied there. It's from the 21st. See that you can't trust me. I just saw the dateline. It's 21st. My bad. Parents claim they have uh, parents claim they have the right to shape their kids' school curriculum. They don't. Okay, th- this, but that's not true, by the way. They do. Parents do, in fact, have the ability. They have the right to shape their kids' curriculum. They do, in a number of different ways, through lobbying, through running for office, through taking their kids out of the schools. They they do have these rights. Okay. But it wouldn't be the first time that a headline differs from the body of the piece above which it rests. So the uh, people who view all of the Republicans as uh, fascists and Nazis and such, they feel uh, that that it's the right that's all paranoid about this stuff. And they say Republicans are, are employing this paranoid style of politics Because they have two targets in mind. The first is the public education system, which hardliners have long sought to undermine. Well before Ronald Reagan's failed effort to introduce vouchers in the 1980s, conservatives were making the case for a privatized system, one in which families, not taxpayers, would bear the cost of education and governance would happen through the free market rather than democratic politics. Isn't that funny? What a what a total misunderstanding of the conservative position. Well before Reagan's failed effort to introduce vouchers, conservatives were making the case for a privatized system, one in which families, not taxpayers, would bear the cost of education. Families and not taxpayers bear the cost of education. <laughs> Who are taxpayers? Who are families? Could I get a Venn diagram, a couple circles? What would be the overlap there of the taxpayers and families? It's about half. Hey, look, I'm a taxpayer. I pay a lot of taxes. I don't get anywhere near the services for my taxes. No matter where I've ever lived. Because without kids, it's the biggest cost, right? The cost to educate a kid in North Carolina is somewhere in the neighborhood in Charlotte, Mecklenburg. It's north of ten grand a year. Ten grand a year. I don't get ten thousand dollars worth of uh, uh, worth of benefits per year. People with kids do. I am subsidizing them, just like people who make more money and pay more in taxes. Just like they would be subsidizing me if I end up using more uh, government services, but I don't. So I am a subsidizer. I'm a tax payer. I'm not a tax consumer. I pay more than I consume. Okay. Um, they say that the, or they say in this piece that 
families would bear the cost of education and governance would happen through the free market rather than democratic politics. What a profound misunderstanding of what the free market actually is. I'm not sure I could have written a stupider piece than these two people have managed to put their heads together to come up with. Do you understand what the free market is? The free market is the democratic process. It's not politics, though. And that's really what this is about. See, if you don't like, this is one of the things I say to people all the time, have for years, that if you don't like politics, then reduce the scope and size of government. Because that's what government is. It's politics. It is determined by politics. It's how you get stuff done in government is through politics. And so the free market, that's just voting. It's voting with your dollars. That's what it is. Well, Pete, but some people have way more votes. Indeed, they do. They got a lot more money, and so they can go out and vote a lot more. They can spend a lot more money on, you know, flat-screen TVs when they first came out. They can be the early adopters of technology and that sort of stuff, and which then drives the price down for everybody else. And that's sort of the natural cycle of things. And people don't like that because that's not fair. Rather than saying, well, I, you know, if I, if I want to have more purchasing power and more, quote, voting, then I should try to get more money. Right? People don't like this. It makes them feel icky. But money is amoral. Money's not good or bad. You can use money for good things, right? Nonprofit work, donations to charity, helping people out. You can also use it for very bad things, Right? Electing Joe Biden. I, I mean, lots of things. No, I'm kidding, but not really. But you, yeah, you can use it for good or bad. Money is just a marker. That's it. And the free market system is ungovernable by your politics. That's why statists, people who are pro-big government, that's why people who like you know, the ability to control things like this, that's why they don't like free market economics and its role in really anything, but particularly education. And the last year, year and a half of the pandemic, if this hasn't convinced you to get your kids out of this system, I'm not sure what else can. I really don't. I'm not sure what else can. In recent years, they go on to say, this vision has come roaring back. Conservative legislatures across the United States have introduced bills creating education savings accounts, private school tuition tax credits, and other forms of neo-vouchers that package old ideological wine in new bottles. Right, You realize that the government-run education model is actually a newer model for education. Because it used to be people just educated their own kids or they would, you know, band together in the community and they would throw up a schoolhouse and that sort of thing, Right. The K-12 government model, it's only about, what, like 100, 150 years old in America, which came from the Prussian model. It's a little bit older. It's about 150 years old. So, like, this is not, again, like, there's a reason why the idea still exists. And there's a reason why people are like, hey, this is a better way to go. It's because it gives them more control, more freedom. And that's what a lot of folks don't like, the people who benefit from these systems. But I, I do find it of note here, noteworthy, that they're throwing in education savings accounts, private school tuition tax breaks, and other form of neo-vouchers. Like, these are supposed to be really scary terms for me. <laughs> 
They're not. Bring them on. I love some people. You want to call me a free market capitalist? Guilty as charged. I do not run from the label because it is accurate. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. <laughs> All right, so critical race theory begins with the presumption that race is the primary way to identify and to analyze people. And it then posits a racial hierarchy, right? And this hierarchy supposedly exists with whites on top, blacks on bottom, individual behavior. It doesn't matter. It's insignificant because everybody in America functions within a society of systemic racism, of structural racism and institutional racism. And so critical race theory affirms this perspective by pointing to various existing racial disparities. And then It'll say, well, look, you got different outcomes, racial disparities, and so that's the result of racist discrimination. And according to this perspective, efforts by public and private organizations to enforce civil rights laws in, uh, in employment and in housing and in contracting and in education, that these are either insufficient or these are pointless. And so the first thing you should do First, all whites must admit their culpability. Got to confess your advantage. Confess that, you know, you exist in a white supremacist society. Um, and if you don't do so, then that means you're suffering from white fragility and instinctive defensiveness. Also, then, individual whites cannot hide behind any personal history of non-discrimination or any kind of uh, uh, support for race-neutral laws or policies because Collective action of their race has been oppressive. See, it subsumes the individual to the collective. That's at the heart of what this theory is about. That the individual doesn't matter. It is the collective that does. This is why it is so important to keep bringing people back to its roots. Critical legal studies, critical theory... Neo-Marxism. And when I say neo-Marxism, I don't use it like a lot of lefties use the term neo-racist or neo-Nazi or whatever. I don't say neo-Marxism because neo-Marxism just means new Marxism. No, I'm using neo-Marxism because the word actually means something. Antonio Gramsci, creator of the neo-Marxism, said Marx is right. He's a total commie. Gramsci is. Went to prison for it, right? In Italy, I believe it was uh, uh, Mussolini who threw him in prison, wrote the prison notebooks or whatever. Um, the, but, but Gramsci talked about how Marx was wrong, that the workers don't know that their culture is essentially designed for them, is prescribed for them by the bourgeoisie, by the, the upper middle class. And so... They don't know what they don't know. And so what you have to do is have this march through the institutions because that's where the culture is conveyed to people. you got to take over the cultural institutions. You change the norms. And then the workers begin thinking in those terms that that's their culture. Because if you just try to, like, foment some sort of uh, uh, revolution based solely on economic status and class – in societies like ours, we're just not going to do it because we still believe that you can move up economically. 
And so Gramsci realized this was not going to work, and he developed the the idea, this ideology of neo-Marxism, the long march through the institutions. And that's what we're seeing right now. That doesn't make me, I'm not trying to red scare people. I'm not Joe McCarthy. Like, I just take people at their word. I'm a political science minor in Winthrop University with another minor in philosophy that they did not recognize. I'm not bitter about it, but I could have had two, but they didn't give two. But anyway, like this is when people espouse a political philosophy and they tell you who who they are. I don't know. We should listen to them. Let's listen to Dean. Hello, Dean. Welcome to the program. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm uh, I'm all right. What's up? What's going on? Hi. I have a question. You know, I, I agree with you about capitalism and the voucher system that you were speaking of, and how it, you know, it, it is the best. And it, but it, on the same token, how do you do that, or at the expense of the ones that don't have the incentive or the desire or the enthusiasm to do it? You mean the parents? And, hey, well, yeah, the parents and. The resulting, you know, children in that, mm-hmm. I guess, that are that are going to evolve out of that atmosphere. How do, how do you how do you get the how do you allow the children the opportunity to raise above that? So, first off, we have to acknowledge that the current system does not allow for that right now either, right? So let's not compare uh, a future hypothetical to a non-existent current reality, right? Like that doesn't, it doesn't exist now. Utopia is not one of the options that's available to us. So we have to recognize that right now there are parents that do not care about their kids and they don't care about their kids' education, right? So that's, that's sort of a baseline. So assuming that that baseline continues under a voucherized kind of system, then you would have, as I mentioned earlier, you would have, a safety net of public schools, essentially, that would be able to compete. And if a parent didn't care, then they would just get into that school. Or you get the voucher and you got to send the kid someplace, they probably would just pick the school closest to the kid. But do the vouchers and the achievers have any responsibility to help pull along that the lower, instead of increasing the divide to somehow, you know... Why do you uh, think the divide would increase? Well, because I think the 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 if you're going to do you're you're providing opportunities for the achievers, and the unachievers are just sort of being left there, you know, at the gate. I don't understand. You know, I'm not I, saying that. I, I don't that understand that. I, I don't well, understand your. I don't understand what you're asking me because let, let's take all right. You got Johnny, and his mommy doesn't care about where he goes to school, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. How is and in the current situation, mommy has Johnny. Johnny turns five years old, so she does. Are we assuming she doesn't register the kid for school? No. Okay. No. But so then, uh, the, so then the 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 uh, mommy has a, a choice to make where to send Johnny with the with the voucher, right? And so is yeah. mommy not making that decision? She's just not sending the kid to school, or is she sending the picking the school? I don't understand. Like, because then it's going to be no different. Once the kid goes to the school, there is no difference as to whether or not he's uh, what you say, like left behind or or pulled pulled by the achievers or whatever. Like that same dynamic would occur. Well, we're, we're creating an opportunity through the vouchers for the achievers. How do we all somehow create? Uh, uh, not a, not maybe the similar opportunity, but 
but how do we pull that that huge large segment of humanity i guess it's it all you are you want to look at you're it giving the kids no you're giving the, the world you're giving those kids an out you're giving them a way out of a failing system dean if you want to stick around i'll bring you back after the news because i'm not sure i'm following the question properly News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so Dean called in before the news, and uh, we started discussing the voucher stuff here, and I'm not sure I was following him. So we bring him back. It's an encore presentation of Caller Dean. All right, Dean, I'm sorry. I don't feel like I was following what you were uh, laying down there. So, uh, no, I, and I, and you, you, you say it so much more eloquently than... Well, than I, I mean, I am a professional. <laughs> obviously, and I am obviously not. Uh, uh, but I just don't think there should be like a hierarchy between K and twelve um, to where that the voucher system seems to, you know, uh, enforce or, or you know. What do you mean by a hierarchy uh, for in yeah. K through twelve? Well, I mean there's colleges, there's after school programs, there's tutoring, there's all these other things where. The, the achievers can take advantage of that. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, and, and if they're an achiever, whether they go through a K through 12 program or, you know, they're going to meet good and bad teachers all through the process. Yeah. They? I guess. No. Right. So, again, are you comparing? I don't know what you're comparing this future vision that you have. I don't know what you're comparing it to currently, because currently that is what we have. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I do, okay. Yeah. We. I mean, if you if you come from a family, uh, your parents are rich, then you're going to get opportunities that other families that are not rich are not going to be able to get. You're going to go to a private school. You're going to get all of the extracurricular activities you want. And if your parents are like super focused on educate, like the tiger moms, right? Like that whole yeah. thing. You know, you're going to as a kid you're going to have different pressures to perform, but also benefits and access to programs and such that other kids that don't have that kind of uh, parental involvement that they don't have. I don't Now, I guess what we could do, and this was an idea that I ran past a, uh, a former school board chairman, Joe White, Coach Joe White, years ago. I said, you know, Coach, one way that we could um, account for all of these disparate outcomes would be just to, you know, take all the kids at about, you know, two or three months old and just raise them all the same. Uh, I don't know about that. No, he said the same thing. That's so weird. He said, like, the same thing to me when I suggested it. Why? What's wrong? Like, take all the kids, get them, they'll all be equal. Why, why are you opposed to equality? Mm-hmm. You see, like, this is the slippery slope, obviously. This is... We're already on it, but this is the uh, th- that's the rational conclusion. That's the logical destination for where this stuff goes. You either allow people, you know, agency. You either recognize, I should say, that people have agency in their individual rights, and parents have these rights, or you do not. And if you do not recognize these rights, then there's nothing to stop you from taking the kids in order to give them all the exact same 
opportunities and upbringing that every other kid has. Now, I don't know what you do with some kids just, you know, naturally smarter than another kid. I don't know. We go in there and, like, give them a lobotomy or something, but, yeah. No, but you're going to end up with some kids at better schools and say, it's not, you're not really changing the system or anything. All I'm saying is that, you know, it, it just seems like an educational system should somehow talk, like, the, the country as a whole, that when the children are all done with it, all the children, you know, that, that the country should be better further down the road than not. Okay, so if that's, all right, so let's say that's the standard. Is that being met right now? No, I don't, I don't think so, but I don't know that the voucher system is the solution. That okay, gonna, okay, well, that, all right, so take that off the table then. So if the, if the current system is not leading to what you think a K-12 government-run system should be doing, and the, the current system isn't doing it, do you have any suggestions or ideas about what would do that? Well, no, but I, I, I think the voucher system sort of uh, really, you know, accentuates the flaws of the K through 12 system. There's going to be flaws in any system. Correct. That you implement. Correct. But I mean, but it, but look at it overall. Is that you know? Is there a system that's better that is going to educate the the our young people as a whole? You if know, every and, system, and, and but in the end, give them more opportunities than just give the smart, rich people opportunities. I don't. So you keep saying this, though, Dean. I don't understand why you keep. You have this idea that a voucherized school, or even several schools, that somehow or another, it's only for quote the achievers. When in fact, a, a kids who get vouchers and are able to get out of failing government schools, they're the ones that are helped the most. Because they don't. If you, I mean, right now, a lot of this stuff is determined by where you live in America, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you live in a in a in a part of town that's got a failing school, you're condemned to that failing school. So a voucher gets you out of that school. I just, uh-huh. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know where, I mean, I, I just, it sounds like you're making a lot of assumptions that you don't actually know to be true. You just assume that it's going to be worse. You, you kind of, do you have any, are, it sounds almost, and I don't mean to offend, but it sounds like you're expressing some level of envy towards people who are rich because they're going to be able to, and the, and the, the super achievers or whoever they are in your mind that, that they, they're, they're going to be able to, to take, you know, advantage, whereas other people won't be able to. But it seems to me like you're going to be able to make of it what you want, right? If you are able to go to a school of your choice, or at least have more choices, then it seems like you would benefit from that. Oh, um, well, I only envy articulate radio hosts, so that's not Don't we one. all? But yeah, I, me too. I've been in... I've been in business all my life, and it's always been a zero-sum game where, you know, if you win in business, somebody loses in business. That's not okay? true at all. But hang on. But, Dean, that's not true either. Business in a free market, businesses are best served when they work with each other, right? Think of the supply chain that you have to use, right? Right. You're, you're right. Provi- this is the thing. And this this is rationality, right? This is why... By the way, like the attacks that are coming from critical race theory and this equity idea, these are attacks on the Western Enlightenment and rationality concepts because a business is measured by profit, whether it stays in business or not, whether it survives or not. 
And that means you've got to produce something that is of value to somebody else. You've got to take in uh, raw materials or something, right? You got to take in, you got suppliers. You have to then do something with that. And if you are a corrupt business person, you're taking advantage of your suppliers or your customers. They're not going to do business with you because it's all voluntary. That's the key. It's voluntary. All right, a reminder, we've got the Speaker of the House coming up at 2 o'clock next hour. So let's run through some of the phone calls as quickly as possible. Let's go to Stacy. Welcome to the show. What's up, Stacy? Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Um, I think the vouchers, the reason why people are resisting is that a lot of these people use failing schools as an um, excuse for not achieving so if you if your child has the ability to move from an underachieving school to a normal school, then what's going to be the excuse for your child failing? You know, part of the problem is is that parents are disconnected from their child's lives and from their education mm-hmm. and, and and so forth. And a lot of people use no child left behind as a cliche for an industry. They don't want that industry to go away because it's a multi-billion dollar industry of underachieving children. Oh, it's trillions. Underachieving children are uneducated voters in the future. Okay, so if the, again, utopia, not one of the options available to us, Um, if you've got parents that don't care about educating their kid and... Uh, a voucherized system would expose those parents and uh, now rob them of that excuse. I'm okay with that too. Cause then I would know everybody would know there would be no more excuses and they wouldn't be hitting me up for more money. Absolutely. Right. Because they would not be able to justify it because, you know, they're obviously not caring. So yeah, I, I don't know if I see that as a, as a, as a negative, but uh, Stacey, yeah, I, no, it's not a negative. Okay. And and I say, I don't think it's a negative. I think it's a great thing, but that's gotcha. really what the resistance is behind the voucher. Yeah. Oh, there's, yeah, there, no, that's a good point. I appreciate the call, Stacy. Let me jump over here to Connie. Hello, Connie. Welcome to the show. What's up? Hey. Hey. Um, I was listening and the gentleman, uh, two calls back, about him not understanding that, you know, still the vouchers, it won't create equality. And, you know, that's where the parents uh, really have the full control. If you, you could have two families living beside each other, one family where the parent is involved. They make their kids check their homework. They give them extra work. They don't allow them to just put off doing homework. And your neighbor, they, their kids come home on the TV, no follow-through. I mm-hmm. mean, to me, the vouchers just is just a, a tool to a better education, but the buck doesn't stop at the school. It has to stay home. It has to come home. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, if you want to, people talk about the, uh, you know, less fortunate, you have two gentlemen that have proven that their parents is the key to better education. You have Clarence Thomas and Thomas Sowell. Both of those two gentlemen came from horrendous um, environments where the schools were, but they both came home. They have both came home to parents that enforced education, made them read. Let's check your homework. It, they didn't check out just because they walked in the door. Mm-hmm. The, edu- the education, the school is only 
priority one. That's why parental choice is because time for parents to get involved. It, you can send them to Harvard, and if the kid doesn't want to do the work, they can go to Harvard and be as stupid mm-hmm. as anybody. But you get a kid who goes to community college, and he can be smarter than any Harvard right. graduate. So, right. So, again, what... what there, what we have to always remember is that the comparison is not to perfection, right? Which is exactly. the trap that a lot of defenders of the K-12 status quo always present, which is like, oh, this is not going to be a perfect thing that you're coming up with, so we shouldn't do anything. Well, no, but well, we should. We should just give more money work. to the current system. That's always the answer. Right. It's because they don't realize that the education they're like wanting equal. It's like you have you could have one kid in, in, in a family who could kick a ball all the way across, and the other kid can't even kick it. You know, two. Mm-hmm. It's it it that is the school is only the start. They have to come home to something. The parents must enforce. That's why critical race theory and all this stuff has literally gone unchecked because us parents. And I'm just like that. I was as ignorant as, as any of them until my eyes were open. Mm-hmm. I just took it for granted. The schools were going to do, you know, they're going to do good. I, I thought I got a good education. Mm-hmm. I learned about, I, I, I went to school in Columbia, and we learned the ugly truth of slavery. There was no, let's buffer it. No, we learned the ugly truth. We learned about the, 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 the march that they made as American. They didn't buff it. They didn't make it sound like the white man good. They told us the truth. So I thought when my kids went to school. That that's what they were getting. Education. Well, and that's, yeah. Connie, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And that, and that is what I think a lot of parents kind of uh, fall into, which is they assume that it's very much like it was when they went to school. Because everybody has sort of this, you know, kind of universal experience. And it's not. <laughs> it's not the same. Tim, welcome to the show. Hello, Tim. How are you? Hey, Pete. Hi. Yeah. Um, they privatized the system, and it would attract more money than you could even imagine. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put money into the current existing public school system. I'm sorry. Right. I've been a North Carolina resident all my life. I'm not going to put any money or effort in that system with what I see happening. But if you privatize it, all you got to do is look at the foundations of the most successful schools in this country. They're flush with cash. Yeah. They got more cash than they know what to do with. Yeah, they're basically endowments, uh, endowment operations. I would put money into a private system and I would support it. Mm -hmm. I'm not. And another thing, Pete, the public schools have become a reservoir for employing people that should not be getting the pay and the benefits. Many of them should do. But many of them should not. So it's a it's a reservoir of collecting people, and then they support the existing political system. So it's self perpetuating right now, and that cabal has got to be broken and exploded. It's the I, same. Well, I'll make one more co- I'll yeah. make one more comment, Pete. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's also a system to give every county in North Carolina, which there's a hundred of them, you know, a twenty, thirty, or forty million dollar brand new facility. And boy, look what we've got. We got twenty, thirty, forty million dollars worth of school facility, and what is it doing? Well, it's generating ticket sales for high school football. Well, well, don't just that. The tech, <laughs> the tech schools, the university. If you put it all together, Pete, 
It's a it's it's a hundred billion dollar cabal of just capital facilities. What if we took that money and put it into teacher salaries in the most advanced curricula in the world? We don't need thirty and forty million dollar facilities to educate our children. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, and here's the other thing. Maybe every kid doesn't need to go to a high school that looks exactly the same and has the exact same building floor plan and all the same amenities. Maybe some kids don't need a high school with a football team. You know, maybe some kids. Like, I went to a college that didn't have a football program. I didn't want to go to a college that, that had that, and I didn't. I look back on it now, and I think, man, I probably would have been a, well, I probably would have been a way heavier drinker <laughs> if I had a football program. Anyway, the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, will join me after the news. Stick around for that on News Talk 1110-993-WBT.